Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23 is the story of Peter walking on the water. I know it was the Lord Jesus who walked on the water, but so did Peter for a brief moment. And this event sets an example to us right at the beginning. Our Savior is the all-powerful, miracle-working God, and this God works miracles still through His people. People like Peter. People like you and I. Immediately, Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up on a mountain by Himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it's I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Interesting. That's the actually first note of worship we see in the story of Christ, other than when the wise men came and paid homage to him as a child. It was two weeks ago that we shared the story of the disciples of Jesus and how they and the Lord Jesus were in a boat, and the Lord Jesus was sleeping in the boat and a sudden storm came seemingly out of nowhere, struck the boat with such ferocity that the boat was about to sink. And the disciples at that point in time go and stir up the Lord Jesus. And they say to him, don't you care that we're going to perish? So Christ rises. He rebukes the storm into silence and calm submission. And then he turns and he chides the disciples for their lack of faith. And what he actually said is, where is your faith? It wasn't that they didn't have any faith at all. After all, as we pointed out two weeks ago, these are large part fishermen who had lived on the Sea of Galilee and knew how to handle themselves in a boat. And these fishermen actually turned to a carpenter to help them in the middle of the storm. So there is some exercise of faith here, but at the same time, they weren't activating their faith. Instead of falling back on their faith or taking it up and holding it in the midst of this storm, they fell into a panic. They kind of lost their heads. And what we said was that faith is not an automatic thing. Panic is an automatic thing. Emotions are an automatic thing. Feelings are an automatic thing. And when storms strike out of the blue, you'll find out what's automatic in your life. But faith is not automatic. It's something that you have to consciously implement and put into a practice or apply. If you just think that your Christian life is threading together good and noble instincts, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble, which we'll see again this morning. But when you take up faith and apply it, you say something like, 
in the midst of a sudden storm, God, I, I'm going to trust you in this storm. I'm going to hold on to you and rely upon you in the midst of this storm. This morning, we're looking at another story, and it's another story of faith in storms. And on this occasion, Jesus Christ is on the land, but his disciples are out upon the sea. In this case, again, there's not a massive storm that has swept up out of nowhere and come crashing down upon them in order to engulf them. On this occasion, it appears that there's just choppy waters, you might say, a contrary wind. John says it's a great wind, but it's not an engulfing or overwhelming wind. They're fatigued and they're being worn out and they're not making any headway, and, but it didn't come upon them suddenly. It's something that's just a persistent situation that they were facing in the moment, and life is like that. Life has those sudden squalls and storms that come to us out of nowhere and seem to overwhelm us and inundate us, and we don't even know where they came from and the reason or why. And then life also has, constantly almost always, some contrary wind that we face some challenge. Life is filled with times, significant times of choppy waters. That really is, I think, what we have here in our story. So having laid that as just a little bit of a simple groundwork, let's just make again some observations from this passage. The first thing we see in this passage from the disciples' standpoint is the Lord Jesus walking to them in the midst of the wind and the waves. And what we should observe here is that our faith is in Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation. For a moment, we cannot move beyond and learn our little practical lessons without seeing that the Lord Jesus here is unveiling His divine power and awesomeness to His disciples in a way that was overwhelming to them. He is the maker of all things seen and unseen. In this story, He is flashing out some expression of His supreme power. He's walking on the water. He's walking through the wind and the waves, and he is majestically planting his footsteps with confidence in the sea. William Cowper wrote, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea, and he rides upon the storm. This is the sovereign, all-powerful God. The Christian does not have faith in faith. He doesn't have faith and wisdom in a few quotable quotes, in some good ideas, in tradition, in certain standards or ethics of how we ought to live and conduct ourselves, in something that has an equivalency in some other place. Well, other people teach things very similar. True. Our faith resides and rests in the living God manifest in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, walking among us, sovereignly in control of all things, the one to whom all creation must answer, and our faith as a result answers to him. Christian faith is planted firmly in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior and our God who is an ever-present help in the time of need. Let's just start there. Second observation, this power that the Lord Jesus expresses shows that he can not only do the miraculous, but he can cause we who look upon him and trust in him to do the miraculous as well. You see it in the passage. God places upon us powers that are far beyond ourselves. We can walk on the waters of storms, but only because he enables us and empowers us. We can. 
If you study the history of the church and you understand the history of the church, there's really only one explanation for its miraculous birth, though it was weak and immature and formed by a band of poor, hated Jews in the Roman world. What explains its ability to transcend and rise when it was willingly and readily being sent on a daily basis to death by all the conventional laws of Rome? What caused it to somehow rise and become such a capstone of civilization when everything that it taught was counter to what was residing in the culture in the day and age in which it came? And not only that, it didn't promise or try to form a culture itself. The very way that you came into Christianity was it isolated out a single man and transformed his life and set him free from all others. Paul says of himself, I am free from all men. His faith, in a sense, liberated him from culture. It broke apart the normal rule of every religion, which is to be the cultural glue that binds everybody together, and it broke all those laws. What keeps religions moving forward and consistent oftentimes is kind of the momentum of a shared culture. Christianity went along and broke all those things apart and wouldn't go forward on that momentum, and so the very conventional wisdom of how things conquer and transcend wasn't a place so here is this weak religion that professes to believe in a crucified man put forward by jews who were uniquely and particularly hated in their society proclaiming a message that was counter to their culture and it wasn't even really offering a different culture how did it succeed well the answer is this the church prevails because She has been pledged to her the prevailing power of God. In fact, the church always fails when it goes back to all those other conventions. When we say, well, we'll just cultivate a better religion. We'll cultivate a more profound culture. The church begins to fail. We'll develop ourselves as a more effective institution. We'll learn some principles of great enterprise. Well, run the test. It fails at that level. Where does it succeed at? Because... In our weakness, God has pledged to prevail on our behalf. The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Samuel Stone wrote the hymn, The Church is One Foundation. Here's one of the lines. The church shall never perish. Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those who hate her and false sons in her pale against both foe and traitor, she ever will prevail. And the power that the Lord Jesus promises to the church, he promises to you, individual follower of Jesus Christ. He's able to do things in you and for you that others would think impossible. He can change you from the inside out. He can carry you victorious through seas of trial and treachery. You're on your way to triumph when you simply hear his voice saying to you, come. And you respond. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 14, verse 12. Speaking of the individual. He that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. What did he mean by that? That's quite miraculous. That's quite wonderful. The works that I do, he'll do also, and greater works shall he do. Do you know over the three or four years of Christ's ministry, if we come to the end of his ministry and we will evaluate what the force of that teaching was in terms of gathering around him, people to himself, we can estimate that there was 
at the lowest number, 120, 500, if we're generous, let's say 1,000 individuals who are professing faithfulness to him and following him. Ten days after Jesus Christ ascended and rose into heaven, Peter preached one sermon. Peter preached one sermon. And on that day, 3,000 individuals, in that one hour, 3,000 individuals came into faith. Greater works that God can do through us. God can do through us miraculous things. Keep it in mind. So now let's go back to our story here. Just a couple points of observation that you can't miss. You've got to keep in mind. They'll encourage your faith, but let's go back to the story. This story is told on two other occasions in the gospel, but in both of those occasions, Peter isn't even mentioned. But in this story, it's fairly clear that Peter is kind of the theme and focus of the story. He's all over this story. And so our attention is back on Peter. And in this very moment, as we look at Peter, he is sinking into the middle of the sea. It's kind of interesting. After the Lord Jesus rose from the grave, the disciples went back to the Sea of Galilee, we're told. Peter went out fishing. Remember, they're fishing all one night. We read the story. And then there was a man on the side of the shore who spoke to them, and they hadn't caught anything. And he told them, why don't you throw your nets in one more time on the other side of the boat, which is, interestingly enough, the exact same thing that the Lord Jesus Have you come to this miracle working God? Have you let him work his greatest miracle on your life? By faith, he'll raise you up from spiritual death, and in his arms, he'll breathe into you his everlasting life. And once having worked this miracle, he'll not stop working great things in your life. I want to thank you for listening to us today at Bread of Life Radio, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.